0: Welcome back, welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. We are part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza welcoming in, not Chris Anderson, but Chris Hummer, our National College Football Reporter. Chris, um, just put you on the spot. Did you get your Christmas card from West Virginia's FOIA office? <laughs>
1: They're probably happy I stopped sending them stuff um, a while ago. But uh, I'll do I'll do my best to live up to Chris Anderson's uh, reputation on this podcast and uh, hopefully West Virginia's FOIA office sends me my Christmas cards. I live in Texas guys, just send them my way. I promise to send only one FOIA to you a year from now on, so we'll be good.
0: Um I got my card and it actually said we'll get your card to you by Valentine's Day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually um I don't want to take a self jab from the top. But I've always been very impressed by West Virginia's FOIA laws. They're way more expedient than a lot of other states I deal with. Like in Texas, they tell you 15 days and it turns into four months. In West Virginia, it says five days and you usually at least get a response in five days. So I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased with that.
0: Oh, this went in a bad direction right away, Chris.
1: Yeah, I know. This is exactly what the people want, right? They want straight up FOIA talk and me complimenting the West Virginia FOIA
0: office. Yeah. uh, Let's just turn the page here. I wanted to have you on to talk about some of the major topics that it seems like for a long time now, I'm not even going to make this a 2021 thing, but certainly for a long time, we've talked about, I don't know, college football playoff transfer portal, the big 12. And these things seem like they're still on our plate and they will be for some time. And I thought, well, Hey, who have I read throughout the year and throughout the time we've been covering these stories Then Chris. So you're here because I want to bounce some things off you to see what we can do. And I want to start with the big 12. Because uh, you were on this in the summer, and then the portal happens, coaching searches happens, you're covering games and everything. So it does um, it does kind of go to the back burner a bit. But we're kind of coming closer to a date every day when the off season comes, and we're going to be talking about, well, what in the heck is going to happen with Oklahoma and Texas? We don't know. But based on what you had heard before and, and kind of the tea leaves that you read, what's best for everybody here as an outcome? Because I can't imagine a scenario in which Texas and Oklahoma are side-by-side with Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and Central, Central Florida. How does this go, and, and what do you think should happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, we saw how um, heated things got for those two teams this year on the road, and I'm sure we'll continue to see that well into college basketball season as well. Um, it has not been friendly uh, for the big Texas and Oklahoma traveling just schools in conference and I think the acrimony will certainly continue uh, for good reason. Frankly, like I totally understand why um, fans would be upset at Texas and Oklahoma. Um, As far as the timeline, what I had been hearing, especially I live in Austin, so I I talked to quite a few people around here is that the expectation was there's no chance they're there in 2024 and 2025. I had always heard 2022 and 2023 as the target dates obviously 2023 is important because schools like UCF and Cincinnati will be entering the league at that time. I just, I would find it shocking if there's a 14-team Big 12 in 2023 that includes Texas and Oklahoma as part of it. I might be wrong. Maybe maybe they don't really want to pay those buyouts, period, and um, Bob Bowlesby and the Texas and Oklahoma administration play hardball, but I I know ESPN and the SEC want Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC as quickly as possible. I know that Bob Bolesby probably just wants this all to be done, even though he wants his money. So I think there's a lot of factors driving towards this happening sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, and the worst thing would be if Texas and Oklahoma won your league with your four new teams in it, too football or basketball, that would not be a good look for everybody too. So I would say that this is probably going to be negotiated out. And again, you're right. It makes no sense to have him in there. And don't forget ESPN, SEC have a lot to do with this. They can write a big check. Somebody can write a big check for somebody. I think that'll work. You mentioned Bob Bowlesby. What's his future? You know, I think that's an interesting question.
1: Um, Hmm there i think there's certainly some criticism levied at Bob Bolsby and justifiably so for the way this Texas and Oklahoma thing hand, happened i mean he was at the podium at Big 12 media days right like saying like laughing off a question about expansion we were both there for that right like he just right. like dismissed it like it was nothing meanwhile like behind closed doors um Texas and Oklahoma were plotting to leave the Big 12 and had been for 6 months at the same time i think I think talking to some people in the Big 12, at least members that will be in the Big 12 in the future, they're, they were in some ways pleased with how Bob Bowlesby handled the fallout from that. I think a lot of administrators liked that Bob Bowlesby went on the attack. I think a lot of administrators appreciated how quickly Bob Bowlesby responded to um, those, uh, to the losses and adding four pretty prominent programs. I don't think Bob Bowlesby's on his last leg um, in the Big 12, if that makes sense. But I think if you have listened to him talk and listen to some of his rhetoric, I don't know how much Bob Bowlesby likes the way college athletics is going. Bob Bowlesby 69 years old. I don't think he's going to be the Big 12 commissioner for the next 10 years, but I don't think he's going to be out in the immediate future. I don't know if you're hearing anything different in that regard, but that's just kind of my thoughts on the subject.
0: I don't know if it's because of the person in, in my affiliation, but... I've heard Oliver Luck's name so many times in the past six months.
1: That I mean, Oliver Luck in the Big Twelve feels like it's been a thing for a decade now.
0: But I think uh, it's unusual. He was brought in as a consultant to do some work. But then again, you know, if you he, if he's in the house, he maybe he gets a look at the foundation and the structure and all that stuff. And eh, I don't know about this, or maybe he does, and he, he kind of like. Starts you know, making furniture plans and table settings and all that stuff, too. But that's that's a name that you're right. It seems like for a long, long time, almost since the time he was positioned as the AD to his time out of it, to even in the NCAA, because I'm not sure how long-term that job was for anybody, never mind him. But uh, he's got a good thing going with an NIL deal right now, too. And I think he's kind of happy living out in Colorado, but Texas and, and maybe the Dallas area, but Texas is always going to be an important place to him. So there's a lot about that that fits, too. but. I think you make a good point, too. This certainly did get pulled out of the fire. And the morning we woke up when we realized that Oklahoma and Texas weren't going to be there and the Big 12 was in jeopardy, there was a whole lot of doomsday scenario plotting going on. And you figured, all right, this league may not exist anymore. A lot of these schools are going to go. That not only didn't happen, but I think if you picked teams to add to the conference to keep the walls up right, those four would be pretty much the top four as far as like group of five schools and then moreover a couple of them you would probably take over i'm using air quotes here in my office like eligible or poachable power five teams like what what teams would realistically leave or want to leave a power five school to get a better deal i think you would pick cincinnati houston byu central florida over many of them too so you're right all things considered big 12 doesn't do a terrible job it's still surviving we'll see what happens in the television deal but who's in charge of that that's bob Bolsby had to give him credit for that too so good good, good job by you there
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it could have been, it could have been an unmitigated disaster. We were talking about four autonomy leagues. And I think, I think from a revenue standpoint, the Big 12 is going to trail behind the other four a little bit with their new teams and after their deal is done. But I don't think it's going to be a seismic gap between, say, the Big 12 and where the ACC is at. Over the long term, it's still probably going to be a problem because the ACC's deal is a disaster. And the compared to what the SEC and the Big Ten get. And I think the Pac-12 is probably gonna be a little more stable moving forward than it has been. But at least in the short term, for Bob Bowlesby to add the teams he did and to stave off just like the collapse of the conference, I think was a real positive. Now, I mean, it sucks for people like um, Judy McLeod and the Sunbelt, or in Conference USA, I mean, because their league ended up falling apart because of the dominoes that fell. But when you talk about the autonomy leagues, Bob Bowlesby adding the four teams he did, keeping the league together, when I know there was definitely conversations, even if people are not going to say there were, with teams within this league with other conferences, I think is a compliment to him and his ability to kind of move quickly to change things.
0: I look at the 24-7 recruiting rankings that came out based on what happened on Wednesday and signing day. Oklahoma 10, Texas 13. Texas makes a big move. We can talk about the Longhorns a little bit here, too. But uh, beyond that, in the top 25, not one other Big 12 school present or in the future. That's not good. Maybe that changes in a while, but certainly recruiting is your lifeblood here. But I think you could also say that BYU and Central Florida and Houston are, are going to do pretty good. And Cincinnati probably can build off of what they've had going, especially to the keep their coach, which may happen because the the carousel has stopped spinning so far. But you move Oklahoma and Texas out of there, you don't have anybody who's recruiting very well. Who knows? I'm not going to use that as my metric, but I'm saying you're looking at a picture without those two and you don't see anything. It's terribly intimidating or terribly impressive, which means this may become a more winnable league. Which may become inviting for players or coaches. And I think of a school, let's just say West Virginia. Neil Brown's 500 right now going into his bowl game in his third year. Important year next year, meaty contract, hard to get out of for the school that choose to fire him if he goes belly up next year, even the year after, too. But you might look at a situation in the future where you say, well, wait a minute, let's give him a chance to be more competitive in this new Big 12 because they've never beaten Oklahoma. And sometimes they haven't even been close. Texas, they've done pretty well against, but. You're removing two of the powers from the league. This becomes, I think, a more winnable conference, too. And it might, it might invite teams like West Virginia, TCU. I was going to say Baylor, Oklahoma State. That doesn't count. But you get my point here. There's a way for other teams to win this league now, too. How realistic, how inviting, how compelling is that as a future aspect of the Big 12?
1: I mean, from, I'm just going to attack this from a fan perspective. I think of all the leagues now. Like, if you can remove the fact that, like, your brain wants you to watch Michigan and Ohio State every weekend, the Big 12 is the most competitive Power 5 league by a pretty significant margin, I think. Whoa. Like, I, I mean, seriously, like, there's no Alabama at the top of the league that's going to own the league. There's no Clemson. There's no USC when things are going right. There's just 14 teams that, like, on any given day could probably beat the other team. And if you look at the S&P, like, SP Plus rankings that Bill Connolly does... Like, on average, the Big 12 is going to be really competitive compared to the other Power 5 leagues. The difference is, instead of having multiple teams in the top 10 or 15 holding the league up, we're going to have 10 teams any given year that think they have a legitimate shot to win a Big 12 title, especially if they bring back plenty of experience. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Like, if you just think about the history of the Big 12, the Big 12 that we're currently in, we've had teams like Kansas State. Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU all pop up on the fringe of college football playoff or national championship discussion within the last decade. Cincinnati's there now. BYU, maybe with a different schedule, would have been there Um, last year. UCF has been there. Houston under Tom Herman was kind of on the outskirt, was on the fringe of that discussion in 2017. So there's just a lot of teams in this league that can put together a great season and be competitive nationally. And I think that's gonna make for some great in a conference football because everybody there's no there's no giant in the league from a talent perspective. There's no Texas in Oklahoma. So it just gives everybody an opportunity to conceivably win the league year over year.
0: I think it's great for coaches too, because the expectation in a lot of leagues is you have to win it or you have to challenge for it. And as you said, in some of that league, some of the leagues, it's not happening because in most years Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State is gonna be there. And then that can work against coaches. In this one, it's a little bit different. Um, not only do you have a chance, but the expectation is you might be able to do it, but you're not going to have that prohibitive roadblock there, too. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think mean, that could be good. It could be certainly a selling point that, why not us? And that could be something you say uh, every year here, too. Let's talk about some of the new coaches in the league. Uh, three changes, Joey McGuire, Texas Tech, Brent Venables, Oklahoma, Sonny Dykes at TCU. Um, I want to start back, though, with Steve Sarkeesian because that guy looked like everybody wanted to run him out of town at the end of his first year. And then yeah. responds with a huge recruiting haul. And everybody's like, wait a minute, Texas is good. This guy might not be terrible at his job. Um, how quickly have things turned for him just since the end of the season to now?
1: I mean, I remember having a booster tell me, like, if things go really squirrely against K-State to end the year, like there's a chance that, like, there could be some big money guys, like, getting together and having real conversations about Steve Sarkeesian's future, uh, to a month later, you get the best quarterback prospect to come out of Texas since Vince Young. You have the best offensive line class you've had in probably 20 years at Texas, and you keep stacking recruiting wins. its I, I really, frankly, can't explain it. I have no idea where this momentum has come from. Perhaps it's come from pancake funds and NIL deals. I think that's certainly part of what's caused some of this momentum. But I think it's a confluence of events. Um, Lincoln Riley leaving oklahoma really helped texas um it helped in a couple of recruiting battles frankly mario Cristobal leaving oregon was a really big benefit to texas kelvin banks a five-star offensive lineman would not be at texas if not for Cristobal leaving and the quinn ewers momentum that they created also really helped and i i i don't know how to explain it like texas was five and seven this year it lost to kansas it should have no business having a top 10 class but credit to texas staff they managed to rally, and now they have the foundation of a potential future. I don't know what that future will look like, especially moving in the SEC soon, but the pieces are there for them to be competitive. And you certainly couldn't say that about Texas a month ago when they lost to Kansas. It lost to Kansas.
0: Speaking of Oklahoma, I don't know that you can replace O'Reilly with a Riley like you replace Stoops with a Riley. That was kind of a, an iconic figure, too. Like maybe, maybe Riley is iconic. I don't know, but certainly...
1: Somewhat iconic,
0: yeah. Yeah. He was sliced bread, you know. That was that was a good move for them, and it was in house. Venables is not in-house. I'm not sure he's iconic, but when you think about what they were trying to accomplish, all things considered, that's a pretty big move. That's a guy who was not attainable for a lot of years because he had it so good where he was. There's probably a small number of jobs he was willing to move for. This one came in here. It's not easy, it probably wasn't, but they made this work. And he's made some moves to keep his staff or some of the staff in place, uh, Bill Biedenboe being the big, big change that people were expecting to happen that didn't happen. Yeah, so keeping him, because their offensive lines have been dynamite for years, maybe not so much this year, but they've been good because their lines have been good. They keep Biedenboe. That's a good rock for Venables to build on, too. Uh, I can't think that they're going to be in a worse position because of who they hire. They may be in a worse position because of what they lost with Riley and some of the momentum, but not because they hired a bad coach here.
1: Yeah, I agree with that assessment. I think you lost one of the top five coaches in college football and it's difficult to replace Lincoln Riley. But given the circumstances, given how last minute that change happened, uh, Lincoln Riley was probably like the 15th coach the cycle to leave his job. Maybe even like the 17th or 18th, they lost track this year. But it happened late and for them to bring in Brent Venables, one of the best three defensive coordinators in college football, I think he probably is the best. To bring in Jeff Levy, probably a top 10 play caller in college football, and to build around those kind of twin pillars, I think is as good as you could have done. And Oklahoma has recruited, managed to keep its recruiting class intact for the most part too, which is remarkable given the circumstances they were handed. Brent Venables is an excellent recruiter. Jeff Levy is a really good recruiter. And if they can keep Caleb Williams in the boat, and I think that's looking more likely by the day then I think Oklahoma has a chance to, no matter what league it's in next year, to be really competitive. And I think Brent Venables and Jeff Levy kind of together will do an excellent job. That staff's going to recruit. It's kind of Oklahoma everything. The staff's not fully put together, but I want to say like almost every single person on that staff has either been a longtime Oklahoma coach or is a former Oklahoma player. So there's a lot of loyalty that is within that program. And I think historically we've seen Oklahoma is usually fine. And I think that'll continue to be the case. The only thing I wonder with Oklahoma is, given it's some of its recruiting limitations, just based on geography, how competitive it will be once it actually enters the SEC. But I don't I don't think Brent Venables will be a problem, I guess, is the best way to put it.
0: Uh, two midseason coaching changes, one at Texas Tech, one at TCU. The TCU change is no surprise. They get dykes. But the Texas Tech one was a little bit more intriguing. Uh, one, because they fired a coach in his third year who was bowl winning, eligible. Winning, winning, yeah. yeah. And then, like, I'm not sure he was turning the corner, but, like, there were good signs there for a, a coach that people do like in Matt Wells. Can I, like, can
1: I explain to you why both of those coaches got fired midseason? Let's do it. Yeah, they both wanted Jeff Trailer, like the UTSA head coach. Okay. Texas Tech went early, um, and they had every intention of hiring Jeff Trailer. TCU saw that Texas Tech was trying to get Jeff Traylor and essentially fired their legendary coach midseason so they could have a shot at him. Jeff Traylor decided to stay in San Antonio and both of them struck out, so that is that is why both those mid season changes happened. They both wanted a shot at Jeff Trailer.
0: Did Texas Tech get Jeff Trailer Junior, Jeff Trailer Version Two, like like the I don't know the the private selection? Jeff I think Traylor.
1: I think I think Joey Maguire would be happy to be called Jeff Trailer too. Like th- those two are like best friends. Like honestly, they're okay. they're super tight. And I can definitely imagine Jeff Trailer given Um, Texas Tech Athletic Department officials, many calls pitching for Joey Maguire because they got a very similar name. Um, Elite DFW recruiter, longtime Texas high school football coach, won three state championships at Cedar Hill, and the toughest classification to win state championships in Texas. Um, Everybody likes Joey Maguire. I've never met a single person who does not like Joey Maguire. He's one of those people that if you talk to him for five minutes, you feel like you've known him for five years and he's gonna recruit the crap out of DFW. Um, I thought he did a really nice job bringing in uh, Zach Kitley from Western Kentucky to be mm-hmm. his offensive coordinator. The Air Raid's coming back. And I I, I know we haven't talked about Sunny DEX specifically, but I think Texas Tech and TCU staffed up in a way where they're both gonna recruit DFW at a higher level than we've seen from either one of those programs in a long time. And it's kind of a fascinating subplot to the new Big 12, because those schools are, very similar in profile in a lot of ways um, based on the staffs that they hired. And it's going to be really compelling to see which one of those two emerges as kind of the uh, lead dog in that regard. I think TCU is better situated just because of region. But um, I think I think Joey McGuire is going to knock it out of the park there. I really do. I, I know people nationally aren't particularly familiar with Joey, but I think he's going to do a really nice job.
0: I don't want to get too deep in the dice because I understand that that probably made a lot of sense and, and there was no reason for that not to happen and it, and it happens. So that's fine. But uh, I want to talk about the person he replaces. I think Dice is going to be fine. I think he fits there. and He'll take that offense to a level it did not get to, especially if they can recruit and keep some of the talent. Recruiting has not been an issue for TCU, especially in offense, but it is having been great on offense. But the guy he replaces, as we're talking here on Friday morning, may end up on the staff at Texas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Which is a wild subplot. Like, I think we I think we were kind of numb to coaching changes and, and how seismic it would be in many years that Gary Patterson really got pushed out in the middle of a season. And, and now he's going to end up maybe at Texas. I don't know. But what does the future hold for Gary Patterson? Does he want to be an assistant or an analyst? Is he a head coach again? Is he a coordinator at a Power Five? Does he do the NFL? I don't know. I think anything's on the table with him. That, that guy may have a platinum record in two years, too, and I wouldn't be surprised.
1: You know, um, I will say one thing about Gary Patterson, talking to people who know him pretty well. He's not done coaching. Um, that guy eats and breathes football. Um, I think Texas is really appealing to him because it most likely would be in an analyst role if he went there. And knowing Gary Patterson, there's nothing more that he would like to do than be at Texas and shove it in the face of TCU that Texas beat TCU the following season or <laughs> following season um, in kind of a revenge fashion. I think long term, Gary Patterson's going to be a head coach again. I don't know where it'll be, what conference it'll be in or what i just think gary patterson still wants to coach do i think gary patterson needs to adjust some of his methods to more of the current generation yes but um gary patterson is a legendary football coach and legendary is the key word he literally has a statue right in front of tcu stadium and it's well deserved he quite literally built that program um so he'll definitely be coaching somewhere and i i don't i will never understand firing gary patterson mid-season i did not think that was a great look by tcu but um, here we are. And I, I get the feeling wherever Gary Patterson ends up and he's talked to he's talked to some traditional powers like Ohio State about coming on as an analyst as well. So there are a couple possibilities for Gary moving forward. But I think he would love to I think he'd love to dunk on TCU a little bit next year if he gets the opportunity.
0: What do you think has to change? Because he did go with Cumby and Meacham. He had Boykin and some some dynamite offenses, but it never sustained. Like, can he can he get that lightning back in the bottle again? Is it as easy as that, or is it was it just stale after a while? What do you think?
1: Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think personality-wise, Gary is an old school coach, and he's old school in a way like he gets after players. He is very hard on players. He's a disciplinarian in every sense of the word. Um, and I think he needs to change a little bit about the way he handles his style to deal with kids in the 21st century, um, not the 21st century. Kind of, um, I guess, our Gen Zers. There's just the personality fit isn't always there. And like in terms of staffing, I just he caught lightning in a bottle with the combination of Cumby and Meacham in 2015, 2014 with Poinkin, right? 2013, like in 2014 with the year of the playoff. And then that combination never really worked again. I don't think he adjusted the way he needed to. His staffing did get a little stale. Gary Patterson is an extremely loyal coach. His staff mostly stayed the same for a long time. And I just don't think we saw that offensive game plan adjust the way we needed to. And then this year, the defense finally broke. I don't know what happened with that defense. It just couldn't tackle. And it was the first year Gary Patterson looked mortal on that side of the ball. And when you put those things together, you get a losing season. And then I guess Gary Patterson getting fired midway through the year. But I think a year or two off would be good for Gary Patterson. And it wouldn't shock me in two or three years if he's, again, a top 25 coach. Because he is as good as it gets in the game in terms of defensive scheming and just being Gary Patterson, I guess.
0: Three figures who have captured my imagination for some time. I want to start with Deion Sanders because I was, like I said, just infatuated by the hiring down at Jackson state because I, I, I don't know what, what strikes me about this is he was my age when people, my age, that was the guy if you were a football fan, because he was so outrageous and also two sports and very good. And I wonder how many living rooms he was going to go into. So to people who were, I don't know, 20, 25 years younger than me and say, Hey, come play football for me. on am prime time. Well, that worked because he's been very good and very influential. So I was wrong there. I don't know how much of a coach he is and how much of it goes to his staff, but He's winning coach of the year awards, but people kept stealing his stuff, like his boombox and his truck. And now he's stealing players from Florida State. This is unbelievable. I I think it's a matter of time until he's a FBS coach, group of five, power five. I don't know. But we went from like, I wonder what what he could do in a power five job to, I I think you might have talked about this too, if I heard or read it. But like, I wonder what a power five school could do with him. It just seems like that there's no ceiling to what might happen here. I don't know how legal it is. I don't know how the longevity <laughs> is gonna last. I don't know, I'm just not i know it's not sure. Like there's a lot of smoke of what happened here, but I'm also not sure that allegations involved here are illegal either under the way the NIL is structured. But I have I mean, I'm not taking bets on this right now. I think anything is is reasonable to discuss and perhaps even consider.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, Dion's kind of an interesting figure. Uh, I, I can confirm that he interviewed at TCU in Colorado State this offseason. Yeah. I know the TCU administration was really intrigued by him. He was a finalist for that job, I suppose, is a good way to put it. And one of the final four alongside, I believe it was Tony Elliott, Billy Napier, and him. So those three coaches. So two power five head coaches at Florida, Virginia, Sonny Dykes at TCU, and then Dion was the fourth one in that mix. I... I have heard that Dion is actually really good on the board. Um, He impressed a lot of people at TCU in that capacity. Um, It is no surprise, I suppose, he is the best cornerback in NFL history, arguably, that he would be uh, good in that capacity. So you can check that box off. There are definitely some concerns about Dion. If you've ever read about prime prep, um, you know there are concerns. He was at Trinity Christian High School in Dallas, which he quickly turned into – a private school power in about a year and a half through recruiting and then that school lost its certification pretty quickly after for a number of issues as well. Um, So his history with coloring inside the lines isn't always the best, but I think if you could get him within the structure of a Power 5 compliance department and you could put him out there on the trail and you hire a steady staff around him, I think Dion could really kill it. I honestly do. I, I I probably didn't feel that way two years ago because I live in Dallas and I've seen what has happened. Or I live in Texas and I've seen what's happened with some of Dion's passion projects on the high school level, but he's made it work at Jackson State. He's clearly arguably the most dynamic recruiter in the country, given what we just saw with Travis Hunter. And there's nobody better equipped in the NIL era to sell himself. I think Deion Sanders better than any athlete we've ever seen knows the value of fame and it's clearly working for him like jackson state is a brand now and Deion sanders is the reason why
0: mike norvell has to be sweating right
1: oh yeah dude Deion sanders interviewed for that job two years ago they chose mike norvell over Deion sanders and then Deion sanders a dude with the statue on campus in tallahassee went out and just stole mike norvell's future out from under him without anybody knowing it it was it honestly like. The story is mind blowing for him to get Travis Hunter that way. It is the biggest recruiting story and the biggest surprise of a recruiting story I've ever seen. Like it's not even close. It is insane. I
0: I think it's just a matter of time. I don't think it's if, I think it's when he's gonna end up in and I was saying FPS. I don't think he's going to and I use his term lightly, I don't think he's going to limit himself to an FPS job. I think he's getting his on the ground training now and he's gonna he's gonna go into or he's gonna open his door to however many AD offices that that he wants, I think, because this is this has everybody's attention right now, too. Most importantly, kids who are 16, 17, 18 years old and want to play high-level college football and make some money now and later, I, I just think it's an inevitability, too. Uh, next name on my list, Southern Brian Kelly. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here. Th- that guy, I followed him at Cincinnati when I covered West Virginia in for the paper in morgantown and there were always calls and he was very available i worked with someone who, who knew him and covered him at central michigan so i had some insight into his personality and that guy's always been just very i want to say rigid or or, or stay he's just who he is and i kind of thought that that was endearing about him too and maybe made him fit into notre dame he goes to lsu it's a little bit of different atmosphere i understand that but i kind of thought he would continue to be endearing by going down there where there's so many dynamics and you have to have a different flavor, so to speak. And he would just be like, okay, but I'm still Brian Kelly. I'm just going to coach and coach the heck out of this and use all the resources and be great. That does not happen. <laughs> he has not been rigid. He is certainly bent here, which makes this even more compelling to me. I thought I would like vanilla Brian Kelly down in the Creole area of the country and see how that worked, And if like this guy who just does his thing and does it very well, could whip up something special where, again, all the resources and luxuries are what they are. Instead, he's really leaning into this now, too. And I don't know what the future holds for him right now, but this is as divisive a hire, as I think I've seen in a while, people love it or hate it. There's very little in between.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, the video I really enjoyed was um, what if Brian Kelly went to Miami? Would he be speaking Spanish on the podium um, <laughs> when he got there? Uh, I, I agree. I, I think. Brian Kelly has been himself throughout his entire career, and it's really worked. I mean, he's the winningest Notre Dame coach of all time. He's the first Notre Dame coach ever to win ten stri- or five straight seasons of ten plus wins. He he works like I mean I don't know if his personality is the reason why, and it's kind of weird he's trying to be somebody other than himself at LSU. I guess LSU's a little more flashy of a program, and maybe he feels like he has to live up to that. But like, dude, just like put your resume on somebody's desk. Like all these recruits, show them the amount of NFL players you've gotten into the league. Say you've played in national championship games and just do your job. It's like, it's very, it's very weird, that approach. But I I think Brian Kelly would be fine at LSU. I think he should have stayed at Notre Dame personally. I think he had something really nice going. And when we eventually expand the playoff, Notre Dame would have been in a great position to annually at least have a chance to get in the national title game, like with their schedule, they should have walked into the playoff every year at 10 and two or 11 and one. But I, I, had somebody, I had somebody that was on Notre Dame staff under Brian Kelly at one point tell me it just came down to this idea. It's easier to make the playoff at Notre Dame, but it's a b- easier path to a championship at LSU. And Brian Kelly, who's 60 years old, clearly made the calculus that he's a better chance of winning a national championship at LSU. He took the job, and I guess he's going to go about it with a bit of a southern twang.
0: Hey, good for him. Uh I'm an ARNF guy. I want to see someone either pass with flying colors or fail miserably. And I feel like we're going to one or the other here, too. So set the stage here. Uh, last coach, um, Jake Spavadol. Chris, he did it again. <laughs> Another recruiting class without a high school player. Right now, we think this may change. But yeah. um, I'm, I, I'll, I'll put some bias here. I'm glad that he's still around there. Um, that's a fun league. It's going to get tough. He's in a great part of the country to recruit in. I think people sleep on that campus. You know a little bit about it. There's a river, like a lazy river that runs to the campus, right? It's a nice place. You can recruit well there. You can win there. But he's certainly going about it his own way. But uh, what has he accomplished? What does he have to accomplish? Uh, this is basically just a, a pet interest of mine because uh, I, I've known him and liked him for some time. But um, he's certainly going about it his own way, isn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know many people who don't like, like he's Like He's a popular guy. Um, Short list, man. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's interesting. I, I think they will add a couple of high school players in this class. Um, if you talk to Jake, if you talk to Jake or you talk to people on that staff, they would tell you their numbers were a mess. They had a really, they had a really freshman heavy roster. I think 80% of their roster was freshmen leading into the last signing cycle. So they need to create some balance, which is why they went so transfer heavy. I expect them to do take a couple high school kids later on, but he needs to win there. They have a new athletic director. Um, I thought there was actually a chance that he might not be back this year. Um, he, he worked it to two away. He is, which is great for him. And like, they need to win next year. I think they've taken some steps. I really, I'm, I've got a crush on Lane Hatcher, the quarterback they took from Arkansas state. Yes. He's been one of the most underappreciated players in college football. The last three or four years um i think he's going to be excellent for them i had somebody on that staff to tell me he's going to be a steal and i think if lane can work out they've got some young pieces um jake can certainly coach offense and his brother has put together a decent defense the last couple of years and if some of these transfers work out like maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle and get things going in the right direction there it's it's an interesting job You mentioned the Lazy River. It's not quite on campus, but there is a river that runs through San Marcos. Um, It is a great time. I still go float the river there sometimes. I live in Austin. It's a (laughs) lot of fun. It's a fantastic campus to be a college student on. There's a lot of things working for that school. It's never really been able to take off for whatever reason. I think part of the issue has been athletic administrative support. Um, They've been underfunded for a long time. That's starting to change. Um, It's not the easiest job in the world. Um, and that's getting easier, but I, I don't know. If, I, I'm rambling a little bit. I don't know if Jake's going to be the guy to change it, but I think he's got a shot next year, and he's loading up on transfers to give himself the best chance to do so.
0: They were competitive this year, too. Their defense is good, and if they get the quarterback, there's talent on offense. They, they could make a move there, too. but the, and, and, again, position it right because that conference is going to be a handful soon before long if it isn't already. Finally, uh, I say this for the very end because um, Chris and I have a bad habit. Chris Sanders and I have a bad habit of talking about something And then the podcast comes out and it's completely dated by breaking news. As I mentioned before, we're speaking here on a Friday morning. And even in like the 25, 30 minutes we've been talking, I was afraid of like something breaking with the transfer portal because that is static. There's always something happening there. Quarterback signing, a surprise receiver going in, a player coming out of the portal and staying in school. Who knows? But um, so we have the freshest content available right now. We wouldn't as long as we can. But. You are immersed in this thing. You are the person who keeps your finger on it. For all of us, we know what's going on at 24-7 at CBS Sports. Um, What do we have here? Like, I don't – just what is this? This just seems like it's a mess that they really should have seen coming, and there's no mechanism right now, although there are some suggestions. But I wonder if this is even more out of control than they could have anticipated. Never mind did anticipate.
1: Oh, I think it absolutely is. Um, We have free agency, but, um, you know, in the NFL, we're only like, free agency involves maybe 150 players. Like in college football, given the scope of roster sizes, given the scope of the teams in the FBS and the FCS, what we have is probably going to end up with 3,000 potentially kids in the transfer portal this offseason. So, like conservatively, like 15 to 20% of FBS scholarship players will transfer um, this offseason. Last year, it was around 15% so we're seeing what happens in college basketball but just on a much larger scale and like college basketball i find problematic just as a fan because nobody's on the same rosters every season rosters turn over extremely quickly kids are switching schools every five minutes it feels like and in college football when there are 85 scholarships on each roster it's just kind of chaos i um i think lane kiffin called it free agency the other day except um there's no contracts and. I think we're seeing something very similar to that. I don't know if we need reform. I just think college football has always been sticky and messy with recruiting, and this is another version of that. I think the idea of transfer portal periods would be a smart one. I think right now, anytime you're unhappy with the depth chart, you could just go in. Um, I think some of that could certainly change, but we have a beautiful chaotic mess and that's kind of what college football is. So I guess the transfer portal is sort of appropriate for that.
0: So I cover Neil Brown at West Virginia. Neil Brown said free agency yesterday, excuse me, Wednesday, um, use the words, that's fine, and said that unlike the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, MLB, college football, college basketball, college sports do not have a free agency period. And you just mentioned the periods too that they could have. Is there something standing in the way of having start dates and end dates like a signing period where you could say, all right, the season just ended. I have to go out and I have to do the contact period during recruiting. Um, that's a, I know, an X-Day window, but we're going to have this X-Day transfer portal window. That'll give me time to come back and talk to my players, talk to my assistant coaches. Who do we need? Who can we afford to lose? Who can we absolutely hold on to here? Just basically a way to do some housekeeping that the schedule right now does not allow. And then you have, I don't know, two, three different periods during the course of the year where players can go in and then – colleges can go fishing i think that's the way they're going to do this but is there something that makes this impossible or or would it have been in already if it was possible
1: yeah i mean i think there's certainly momentum trending towards it i i don't know why it wouldn't be possible i think there's some mechanisms with it that are a little more difficult to deal with like a high school kid can sign during a period because nothing's affecting his path to college right like Mm -hmm. there's there's no depth chart impediments. There's no cutting of players on rosters. There's no spring practice that might tell you that you have no shot of playing. Um, So I think it's a little more difficult to put a window on it like we see in other situations, but I think there's going to be a lot of momentum to do so because it would make things easier for coaches and it would make things easier for administrations. And I think it would also increase retention if there's a particular window where you can enter the portal. You're not going to see kids insta-enter when a new coach is hired or when a your old coach is fired. You're not going to see kids make a rash decision that they get upset with whether they are in the depth chart and they just enter immediately. Um, so I think it would take some of the chaos out of it. And I would imagine eventually we certainly see something like that because I think a lot of people in college football think this is untenable right now.
0: How do they not see this coming?
1: I mean, this is college football, man. We have we've had <laughs> bad rules for like 100 years and they just throw band-aids on them for a while. And so they figure out an elegant solution. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think a lot of people thought the one-year eligibility or the one-year waiver in terms of waiving the uh, year in residence would change things. But I don't think people anticipated quite what we're seeing where almost – every kid once in their career will transfer once. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know how they didn't see it coming. Like, I I think it's pretty obvious that like something like this could have happened, but that's where we are. We were throwing, we were just trying to fix kind of broken rules on the fly. Obviously the rules we had with transfers were antiquated and the NCAA, I guess was trying to do its best to address that. But I guess whenever you fix something, a new problem always arises. And, we don't have the most nimble of mechanisms in college athletics to fix things quickly, so things just spiral out of control.
0: Well, fortunately, the NCAA is very competent and can patch this up quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have the best we have the best organizational mechanism possible. Um, I think we're going to see new governance here in a month, um, at least a new governance structure. So things might go a little more quickly in the future because I think. Um, Division one schools will have the power to act more quickly, but I mean, you're still gonna. We see, we see it in the playoff right now. Even if it's just Division one schools arguing over transfer rules, like the ACC is going to want one thing, the Big Ten is going to want another, the American's going to want another, and it's going to cause a stalemate. So, until until we get to a day where we have a college football commissioner or something like it, I think we're gonna we're always going to deal with stuff like this.
0: Well. In less than until that happens, Chris, I, I have you to fill in the blanks for me. Thank you for, uh, for sharing your time and your insight here. As always, you can find him on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer National College Football Writer. Chris, uh, thanks again. We should do this again soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks, Mike.
0: Until next time, I'm Mike Casazza. We'll be back before you know it with a look at Minnesota previewing the bowl game with some help from our 24-7 site over there. In the meantime, safe travels. We'll talk to you soon.